0: Hi there, I'm Niall Jackson. Uh, If you don't know me, I lead one half of what was previously neighbourly until we multiplied. uh, And I lead that with my wife, Charlie. Um, I've also been in Cambridge almost my entire life and I've just uh, graduated as a medical student. So I'm now a doctor with a real job. I work in hospital in Peterborough. And this is my first time delivering a talk to myself in a room to my phone. Uh, So I'm going to have to imagine uh, the banter and the jokes and your thoughtful, pensive faces as I um, deliver it to the the back of my phone. I'm really enjoying our series on a living hope. Through Jesus' death and resurrection, we have been given a new living hope and an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. Peter has stripped us back to what it means to be followers of Jesus, spreading the goodness of God with everyone. We have Christ living inside of us, spurring us on by his Holy Spirit or for a higher call. Not a call of materialism or self-serving striving, but one of simple obedience in response to the lavish grace he has bestowed on us. Let's pray and then I'll read the passage. Father God, would you impact our lives today? Would you make this a significant time? That it wouldn't just be another day, another Sunday. But I pray that you would enter into our lives now by your Holy Spirit and change us. Amen. So the passage today is from 1 Peter 3 verses 13 to 22. So I'll give you couple of seconds to find that um, in your Bible. So it's 1 Peter 3 verses 13 to 22. Here we go. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you, to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behaviour in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago, when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolises baptism that now saves you also, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities and powers in submission to him. Nicky Gumbel, the leader of a church in London called HGB, when he interviews people, he will get through who they are, what they've done and maybe why it is they're being interviewed. But the last question that he asks them, or a bit of a surprise question or what Tom Finnimore used to describe as a bit of a curveball um, is what is the difference that Jesus has made in your life often this is the most important answer when Jesus announces himself on the scene in Mark's gospel he says the time has come the kingdom of God is near repent and believe the good news at the very core of the gospel is our change from death to life from despair to hope in verse 15 when peter suggests always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have he is suggesting always be ready to answer that question what is the difference that jesus has made in your life what is the hope we have the first step to us living ready to give the reason for the hope that we have is us actually knowing ourselves what it, that is. I am an extrovert. I work things out as they come out of my mouth or who anyone who's met me. Or maybe if you're just listening to this talk, you realise that that's how I think. But some of us might be able to say, bing, that's what my hope is. But others of us might never have actually had to spell it out. So I want take a minute. Either with a person you're with or on a piece of paper, write down or talk through in max, you know, two or three sentences what is the hope that you have in Jesus? What are you trusting in Him for? How is that? Maybe it was harder than we imagined, or maybe something beautiful just came out. If you weren't quite sure how to start, that's absolutely fine. It's harder than we'd think to succinctly, but meaningfully, summarise the vast, life-changing hope that we have in Jesus. Peter gives us a good example, both in the first chapter of the book, where we get the quote from Living Hope, but then he also in our passage today, he says, Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. And later on it says, it, that is to say the water of baptism, saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. One way of living ready is by knowing ourselves what the reason is for our hope. It's not about persuading and it's not about having a magnificent watertight argument about the historical the legitimacy of the Bible. Whatever reason that you have in resting your hope in Jesus was big enough for you to change your life, was big enough for you to rest your hope in him. Don't think that you have to invent something that you feel is right or the cleverest answer. You don't have to have a master's degree in theology or master's degree in apologetics. You just have to be yourself and be honest. There may be bits of it that are objectively and biblically true, like how Jesus' death and resurrection give us a guarantee, seals the promise that we will have eternal life with Jesus. But other bits might be more subjective or personal, like how you may have experienced the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. So we've spoken about knowing what our hope is, knowing ourselves what difference Jesus has made to our lives. Now we come to the bit that I find most frustrating about this passage. Peter says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you. But Peter, how do I get them to ask me? I've got my beautifully crafted, authentic, accessible, biblical, poetic answer ready, locked and loaded in my head. But I still haven't managed to say it because no one's asked me to give it. I think this links back to Danny's talk and what we've been talking about over the last couple of weeks and also the first half of our passage today. Danny spoke about living lovingly and how acts speak louder than words. And the first half of this passage again implores us to live good lives. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? Or it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Peter is suggesting that by living lovingly and pure lives, we set people up to question our lives. The way I like to think about it is we like those mimes on the street, you know, the ones painted completely with gold. Um, That they've got their hands rested on a staff or something, but then they're sat cross-legged, floating in the air. And you have to ask yourself, how are they doing it? How are they staying up? And our lives should pose that question as well. As we live lives which would not make sense without our living hope, people cannot help but question it. There are lots of things about how we live as Christians that lead people to question why we live like that? As a student, while we um, were living in Cambridge, or and obviously we are still living in Cambridge, but while I was dating my uh, now wife uh, Charlie, um, we lived very different lives. Our relationship was very different to um, how some of the relationships around us were being um, being lived out. You know, we weren't having sex, we weren't living together, and you know, we, we were in this monogamous. Long term relationship, and it meant that I had countless times when people were in complete disbelief that we weren't having sex and we weren't going to live together until we were getting married. But that allowed me to talk about the hope that I have in Jesus. I could talk about how my love for Jesus and my hope in Him to satisfy me meant that I didn't need to seek satisfaction elsewhere, but I could hope. That his commands for my life were right and true and perfect. I used to play uh, frisbee for a team in London. Um, if you don't know me, I, I speak about frisbee a lot. Uh, I play it to a kind of degree where it's slightly obsessive, rather than just in the park. Um, and I meant that I had to commute uh, back and from Cambridge. You know, most weekends, and we'd have training weekends that would be the whole of Saturday, the whole of Sunday. Um, and it frequently meant that I miss church and that was kind of the reality of it, it's a kind of weekend sport. But there are some times where I could kind of thread the needle and I'd be able to leave as soon as possible, maybe leave a little bit early, and then it would mean that i get the train so I'd be back for the evening gathering. And, you know, this posed the question for, for the lads, the, the lads playing frisbee, because obviously you can imagine that men who play frisbee are all the kind of epitome of lads that you'd imagine. Um, and they are like, oh, no, no. And, You know, does this mean that you get like more God points for coming home early and getting back to church? But that gave me the opportunity to speak to them that it wasn't about God points and it wasn't about earning my way into heaven or earning my relationship with Jesus. But actually, because I love my relationship with Jesus so much, I wanted to prioritise him in my life. And I wanted to say yes to Jesus before I said yes to other things. And God managed to use something that I didn't even do regularly or or particularly well. I was still missing church um, by going to practices and going to tournaments. But actually, he used those moments where I could live distinctively to lead people to question me about my faith. And as we live lives in community that demonstrate love and generosity with those who don't know Jesus, we build up a trust account with them. They know that we love them and we want the best of them, so they feel comfortable to ask us questions. And they're much more likely to actually take on board and listen and understand the answer when we give them, when our lives match our words. In Hebrews it says, Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. We get to live believing that to be true, like the mimes with our invisible support. If our lives are explainable without that irreplaceable core of a living hope, then why would people ask us about it if it clearly makes no difference to us? The final note I want to take from this passage, the second half of verse 15 and then 16. But do this with gentleness and respect keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behaviour in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. We have nothing to prove by answering people's questions. It's not our job to trick people into becoming Christians by witty or tight logical traps. Peter tells us to revere Christ as Lord. We get to acknowledge that Jesus has got this. He is in control. As a result, there's no point getting riled up if people are trying to rile us up. Take the time to think about why someone is asking us questions. Sometimes there are moments when our pithy answers or well-prepared answers won't cut it. There are some things that we won't understand until we are with Jesus in the new creation. Whilst it's good and right to have thought through the reason for the hope that we hold, this shouldn't prevent us from admitting when we don't know or when we're unsure. I was recently um, in a communication skills training in the, the two weeks before we were deployed early as doctors um, in med school. And it was about to how, how to deal when people ask questions of us that so-called oh no questions or, you know, they said oh something else. that so it was a bit more rude um, questions that make us go, how on earth do I answer that? And the facilitator was firing questions at us over Zoom. It was like, do you believe in God? Why did this happen to me? Why has God punished me? Why is this fair? Is this, um, what will happen to me after I die? As a very junior doctor, but also as a friend or a teacher or a brother or a daughter. These are questions where our snappy Sunday school answers will not satisfy The communication skills facilitator suggested we try a technique called uh, explore, explain, explore. At first, we gently explore why someone might be asking these questions. What's the thing behind a thing? Why is the answer to this question important to you as the, the questioner? And we can ask that question, like, why do you want to know that? Then we move to explain. So maybe... There are something that we can offer from the Bible or from our own lived experience. You know, maybe it's talking about suffering and we can say, actually, the Bible has a lot to say about suffering. It's not conclusive and it's not a tight-knit argument that we can't, that isn't necessarily perfect to satisfy the pain that we feel in this life. But we can offer what we know or what we don't know from the Bible or our experience to those people. And then we can explore again whether that has actually helped that person or how they feel about that answer. And on the face of it, it feels a bit squirmy and it feels like we're manipulating or actually we're not answering the question someone's asked, but actually it cuts through the recycled Sunday school arguments. And it gets to the reality of what is my life as a Christian and how does Jesus affect that? How do I deal when things that I don't understand or don't fit with how I view God? How do I deal with those things? And how do I use the Bible? Or how do I use what the church teaches me in those moments? And that's when we can be honest. Because again, Jesus is in control. We don't have to fudge over things that we think will be too revealing and will put people off when it's the reality. Jesus is in control. He's the one changing people's hearts and using our words to transform people's lives. So ultimately, we can summarise in this. Firstly, we won't be able to tell anyone about the hope that we have unless we ourselves know what that hope is. Living ready, with that hope on the tip of our tongue, ready to burst out. Secondly, people will ask us questions when they see our lives lived in a way that is totally reliant on the hope that we have in Jesus. And thirdly, Jesus is in control. We aren't going to persuade anyone of anything. Instead, the Holy Spirit is working in the hearts and minds of people we know and pointing them to Jesus.